Hey, Canvas Community Church, what a joy it is to be able to bring God's Word to you on the last day of 2023, as together we look forward to 2024. This is a pre-recorded message, but uh, I'm going to pray for us anyways. I'm convinced that God is here today. He's here next month. Uh, he's here way into the future and way in the past. And so he'll hear our prayers for this morning as I pray them now. Join me in prayer, if you will. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that Jesus' words and my words today might join together that we could hear the words of the Spirit of God for Canvas Community Church moving into 2024. I pray this for Jesus' sake, for the kingdom's sake, in his name. Amen. So this morning, I'd like to walk us through a kingdom-first theology, and I'm going to focus in the middle of probably the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. I'll be focusing on Matthew chapter 6. I brought with me a prop. This book is the first book I ever purchased in seminary some 35, 40 years ago. And quite frankly, I, I bought it. I started reading it. And about 20 pages into it, I thought I'm quitting seminary. Uh, the book is The Sermon on the Mount, A History of Interpretation and Bibliography. So the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters in the Bible. And the first third of this book is a history of how various personalities and movements and groups in the history of the church have interpreted the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters. And the rest of it is all a bibliography of all of the books that this author thinks, uh, if you're going to be well-read, you should probably read relative to just three chapters on the Sermon on the Mount. It was part of a directed study. Scott McKnight was my professor of record. Uh, it was actually the first class he ever taught uh, at Trinity, uh, TEDS. And uh, John Stott was my lecturer. Um, <clears throat> so in all of the different ways that people have approached the Sermon on the Mount, the reason there is so much is because it is it's so profound, so impactful, so challenging that Christians have really wrestled with it for a long time. Quite frankly, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of my canon within the canon. It's, it's where um, the locus of my understanding of Jesus and his call for us is. And I'm just going to show you this shirt that many of you already have. Some of you might even be wearing right now. It, uh, it says, in Winchester, as it is in heaven. It refers to a section right out of this chapter I'm going to talk about, which is a kingdom-first theology. When we look at the history of interpretation, we really default to this kingdom-first understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, in at least three ways. First of all, we believe that Jesus actually preached it. Uh, there are some groups who interpret it that Jesus had some kind of Bible conference, and this is a summary of everything he was teaching. Now, we think he actually, it, it, that's the context in which it's set, and we believe that that's, that's what he did. Uh, second of all, we believe that Jesus meant it. Uh, some of the sayings in the Sermon on the Mount are really difficult to be able to apply to our life, and so there are those who want to make it hyperbole, 
There are those who want to make it kind of an ideal with no real intent to implement. But no, we, we believe that Jesus meant it. And not only did he mean it, but he actually meant it for us. He meant it for the people in his day, but he also meant it for us. There are whole schemes of theology that try to discount the Sermon on the Mount for you and I, because again, it's just, it, it can be challenging. It can be hard. Um, so if you will, walk with me through the sixth chapter of Mark. I'm going to be sharing a lot of what Jesus said. Quite frankly, he preached it. Uh, I don't think I can do any better than him. So I'm going to use a lot of his words in this message. In some ways, I'm going to kind of preach the Sermon on the Mount for you, uh, along with some of my commentary. And I'm going to stay in chapter 6 because I actually, I actually think in this context, our translators and then uh, those who divide the chapters for us, they got it right here. There seems to be uh, three main sections in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to focus in on this middle section. In this middle section, there's a middle verse that uh, is one of the most difficult verses to understand. But I really think that it brings, an, it's an interesting proclamation that kind of gives cohesion to the whole chapter. Listen to the words of Jesus. Your eye, it's like a lamp. It's like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is darkness, how deep is that darkness? I also think that this verse could actually become a, a profound personal theme for 2024. Uh, we just got done with John recently in here Canvas Community. And you might recall in the very first chapter of John when, when Jesus receives his first disciples. He, he goes to John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist declares that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The next day, John the Baptist sees him again. He's with two of his disciples. Andrew's one of them. And he just proclaims to his disciples, John's disciples, hey, look. Uh, John the Baptist says, look, uh, the Lamb of God. And two of the disciples, because of that, moved from John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. And at some point, as they were following Jesus, Jesus stopped. He turned around. He looked at them, and he asked a real simple question. What do you want? In many ways, Matthew chapter 6 is a reworking of that very question. What is it you want? Or another way of saying that might be, what are you looking for? What is your eye focused on, the eye that's the lamp of the body. What is the light that it's seeking, that it is receiving, that it is taking, that, that causes your whole body to be full of light? Or, if that light is darkness, causes your whole body to be full of darkness. What are you looking for? This will give a cohesion to the whole message that Jesus pro proclaims in the sixth chapter of Mark, as we walk through it. And, and as we go through Mark 6, there's really kind of three main sections to it around this question of what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Is it admiration? What are you looking for? Is it wealth? What are you looking for? 
Is it security? Identity? So here our Lord. He looks at him and he says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. This very beginning place, watch out. Be careful that you're not trying to be admired by others. He's going to take this whole sense of admiration relative to what you're focused on and walk it through generosity, walk it through wealth, and walk it through security. So on the first one, generosity. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward that they'll ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private, and your father who sees everything, he'll reward you. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? In your pious activity, are you looking for admiration in your generosity? There's a story, and again, I don't, I don't know if it's true. I read it somewhere. It's a story about Billy Graham. He was sitting in a church service, and as the offering plate, back in the days when they passed the plate down the aisle, as it came by, pulled out his wallet, pulled out a $5 bill as he was about to put it in the offering plate, he noticed some lady down the aisle was staring to watch what he was putting in the plate. And he slowly slipped the $5 back into his wallet, pulled out 20 put it in the plate, and it passed on. To which then his wife, Ruth, leaned over and said, uh, Billy, you only get credit for five. Why are you doing what you're doing? What are you looking for? Now, as we start this message, it's important to realize that Jesus is not telling them not to do uh, acts of piety in public. Uh, let's be honest. I, I, I've, heard, I've read stories of people who gave generously. I've met people who gave gave generously, and it, and it provoked in me a, a generosity to, they, they've modeled it, and it helped me to live. And in fact, very, just before this, in chapter 5, Jesus actually tells them to make sure you do your piety in public. He says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about doing it in public or not doing it in public, but, but why are you doing it in public? What is it you're looking for? What are you seeking? Give your gifts in private, and then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. If the first one is generosity, the second one is spirituality. And he uses prayer. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. You know, the... the Jews generally didn't go on street corners to pray, but, but pious Jews would keep hours of prayer. There were certain times during the day that, 
that if you were pious, it was expected that you would pause, that you would stop, and that you would pray. And we believe that Jesus was actually addressing a habit of some who would schedule their day so they just happened to be walking down the street at a very public spot when that hours of prayer came, and in their pious way, they stopped and realized, oh, I must now pray so that they could be seen by everyone else. Again, what are you looking for? In your acts of piety, are you looking for admiration? That people see you as generous? That people see you as spiritual? And then Jesus goes on, and when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask, ask Him. Here it's not so much about generosity, it's not so much about spirituality, but it's about being diligent. <clears throat> is that your goal? Jesus is asking, are you, are, you, are you looking to be seen as diligent, as spiritual? As generous. What? What are you looking for? And then Jesus goes to a third act of, of piety. The first one's giving, the second one's praying, and the third one is fasting. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, before that, he does tell us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, pray this way. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Don't yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse your to forgive others, your, your Father will uh, not forgive your sins. So Jesus continues on with this piece of prayer, but then he gets to this this third place, this act of fasting. And he says, when you fast, don't make it obvious. Um, by the way, I think it's really important that in all of these acts of piety that Jesus is addressing, please note that he doesn't say, if you give, do it this way. Or if you pray, give it this way. Or if you fast, but for Jesus, these are all assumed activities. When you give, he, his assumption is that if you are a follower of the one true God, that you give, that you, that you do pray, and that you fast. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, the, the, in the early church, the very first kind of discipleship program that we have written is called the Didache. And from the Didache, very early on, before the scriptures were even completed, it was obvious to us that, that the early Christians fasted twice a week. So it was a common practice. But Jesus says that when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. They would literally uh, put put a sheet over their head or a covering over their head, or they would take ashes and dirt and rub their face so that they were showing that they were, were mourning and, and they were fasting, that they were sacrificing for spiritual things. Jesus says, in that case, I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, 
then no one will notice you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything. He'll reward you. There is this reality about what are you looking for when you fast. Why are you doing it? Jesus is very concerned that we we perform these acts of piety to be seen of God, to connect with God, to grow in our own spiritual well-being rather than the admiration of those who are around us. What are we looking for? Then this passage about the eye and, and it being the lamp and good light, bad light, bad light, that's darkness. Uh, it, it's found in this second section where it's not so much about admiration, but it's about wealth. And here's what he says. Don't store up yourself treasures on earth where moths eat and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then here's the kicker. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Again, the question becomes, where do we want our heart to be? You know, the... A good friend of mine was running a Bible study at one point. He was a rather new Christian, pretty on fire for God, uh, had moved and started a Bible study in a new church, thought it was a really good church, didn't know the people, and started a Bible study with about five or six couples. And about the third week, he got tired of the curriculum, and so he kind of co-opted it. And he said, hey, guys, we're coming up on a new year, and so could we just take some time maybe and go around the circle and just answer the question, what, what's your vision Really, what, what are you looking for? What, what, is, what is the light in your eye that's giving light to your whole body or is giving darkness to your whole body? What's your vision for this next year? Various people shared different things. Mark shared what his thoughts were. But he tells a story of one guy who said, well, so my vision is for this year that, that I would double my business so that my tithe would be twice as big. And Mark looked at him and said, well, that's dumb. Why don't you just give 20% and then actually do something for God? I don't know if that was the best way to do it, but the point's clear. What are you looking for? What's the light that's coming in your eye? Don't store up treasures here on earth. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body's filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body's filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, whew, how deep is that darkness? How dark is that? What are you looking for? What is the lamp of your body letting into your soul? So Jesus continues on. No one can serve two masters. 
You'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And so he starts with, with what, what are you focusing on? What are you looking at? What do you, what do you really want? Do you want admiration? Do you want wealth? And then he moves to the, the third section. And the third section is about security. Jesus said, that's why I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, what humbles me, folks, is that he's not speaking to Americans. He's speaking to, to people who literally didn't have reserves of food. They didn't have reserves of drink. They, they didn't have a walk-in closet with what am I going to... Their problem was not what am I going to wear today. Their problem was do I have anything to wear today? Has it worn out? Uh, my challenge is how do I fit everything that I have into my closet? And I want to, you know, build bigger barns. Um, he's talking to people who were subsistence. And yet he's saying, I, I know you want that for security, but that's not where your security is found. When you look for security, look for it in me. Do not worry about everyday life, whether you'll, you'll have enough food or enough drink or enough clothes to wear, because life's more than that. Look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store food in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus is concerned that we're searching for security in him. We're searching for his admiration. We're searching for the wealth that he provides, the security that he provides. Why are you worrying about your clothing? Look at the lilies. Look at how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows you need them. What are you looking for? He ends his section with a verse that we gave to our firstborn as a life verse. And I think it encapsulates his whole kingdom theology, this kingdom-first theology that, that he tells us is coming in the prayer, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is part of the ethic of everything he has to say. And then at the end of this section where he's talking about what are you letting into the lamp of your body? What are you focusing on? What are you looking for? Is it truly light that brings light to your whole body? Or is it somehow unhealthy that's bringing what you think is light and yet really is darkness? He says this. 
seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, it'll bring its own worries. Today's troubles, they're enough for today. I'd like us to end this message with a short little exercise. It's the same exercise that I used with pastors in the Philippines. And I hope that it is a, a, a way that perhaps you can begin your 2024 and make sure that your lamp, your eye, the, the lamp of your body is letting in the kind of light that brings light to your whole body, life to your whole body, all that God wants to provide for you in this kingdom-first theology that, that we might really be a church that, you know, that does this in Winchester, as is in the kingdom of God. So in the first chapter of John, I reference this at the beginning of my message. John the Baptist uh, has introduced Jesus to them the day before, and the next day he's with just two of his disciples. Andrew's one of them. And he says again, look, the Lamb of God. It's, it's as though he's pointing to Jesus, letting them know that, that he's the one, that he's, he's preparing the way for him, that he's the one that will baptize the Spirit. He's the, the Messiah. He's the one that's coming. John the Baptist, I'm only here helping you get to him. And two of, his, of John the Baptist's disciples got it. And so they, they moved. They switched from John the Baptist and they began to follow Jesus. And as they were following Jesus, it, it has this picture of him just walking and at some point he's aware that these people are coming after him and he stops and he turns around and he looks him in the eye and he says what do you want? It's really the same question that he's asking here in the Sermon on the Mount. What are you looking for? I'd like to encourage you as you begin 2024 to take maybe 30 minutes, maybe just 10 minutes. We had our Filipino pastors do it for an hour. It was profound. Visualize yourself following Jesus. Many of you have followed him for a long time. And at the beginning of this year, imagine Jesus turning around and looking at you and asking you from the very heart, what is it you want? What do you want? When the first thing comes to your mind, don't accept it. Ask yourself, what's under that? What's driving that? What is the true desire of my heart? What is it I want in 2024 from Jesus? What am I looking for? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that those who choose to do this simple spiritual exercise, I, I pray for them right now, that as they enter into this time of spiritual connection with your spirit, as they begin to seek their own soul and your spirit in it, as they ask the question, what am I really looking for? What do I want? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would meet with them in such a powerful way that they would hear the cry of their own heart, articulate the cry of their own heart, 
that they might seek the kingdom of God in the ways that will fulfill their light, their life, their body, as they open the lamp of their eye to the things of God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us. I hope that you were both encouraged and challenged by this online church service. Again, we would love to connect with you more. Um, if you have any questions, comments, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, contact us via our social media pages. Send us an email at office at canvascommunity.church. Download our mobile app. Go to our website. All of our information is available. Again, we'd love to connect with you. So glad that you're here. And we hope to see you next Sunday in person, 10 a.m., um, as we launch this new uh, 2024. Hope you have a great day. And yeah, we'll talk to you later.